streaming live. Soon. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. I hope you are all well this morning and had a good restful night. It's a beautiful day here in Virginia. The sun is shining and the temperature is climbing, and I, I'm really, really pleased with that. Uh, we are in the uh, Bible study time, and we have a few minutes here this morning to consider, once again, the interesting topic of the ascension of the Lord. And we have been looking at the ascension through some of the scriptures that talk about that subject and teach us about that subject. And uh, uh, we, we have a, a, a broad topic because the ascension of the Lord is very, very important to theological persuasions. And, and there are, everybody's got a different opinion about what it's like or what happened. And what I'd like to do is just, we'll share with you two, three, four times on the particular subject, giving no rhyme or reason to why it's four times or three times, but just sort of take it like a, what they call a mud ball. You get a, a ball of mud and you throw it on a wall, and what sticks is what you get. And that's the way we're going to kind of do, throw the mud ball theory at it a little bit. Or, or some others say shotgun. You shoot a shotgun four times and you get, you'll get the same results. That is to say that it's a subject that is so broad that to try to squeeze it into some kind of system will take away the integrity of it. Now, I mean that by, I mean it to be that the subject of the ascension is supposed to be a mystery. It's not supposed to be something that you intellectually analyze and, and draw big conclusions about it. No, it's it's a mystical, wonderful experience that encapsulates the power of Jesus above the earth. And uh, it's also a, a, a wonderful, has reasonable consequences about it for modern human beings. It's not a, a just something that you can pick up and think about when you want to. It has a sense of reasonableness about it. That is theological and important. And the tradition of the church, my Lord, they hold on to the ascension like claws that are cat on a screen door because it elevates Jesus to where Jesus ought to be, which is above everything, seated at the right hand of God. From God and Jesus come the Holy Ghost down to the earth and strike power. See? But you have to have the ascension before you have the coming of the Holy Spirit. And but we often overlook that. We run from we go racing from the Easter to Pentecost without hardly even thinking about it. Well and then we and well we also give consideration to our own experience. Uh, some people think of the ascension and the, the ascension in in uh, biblical terms. Some people think of it in terms that are mystical and we're going to look at them, look at them all and see what it is that we can come up with. We're going to get going this morning. Let me just, as we start, have a little prayer here from 
the old Methodist hymnal. I got, I happen to have that one right here. If you look on page 323, there's a prayer for the ascension written by a man named Lois Hull Stuckey. Lewis Hull Stuckey. He was a seminary professor for many years. A beautiful man. Passed away now. But he wrote this prayer for us and let us pray. Everlasting God, your eternal Christ once dwelt on earth. Confined by time and space. Give us faith to discern in every time and place the presence among us of him who is the head of all things and fills all, even Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord. Amen. Isn't that pretty? My goodness gracious. Yes, it is. And so true. So very true. Well, here we go. Let's look at this thing this morning. And remember the scriptures that we touched on the last time. We're going to hit them, hit them again as we go on. If you look in Acts 7 and Luke, the second chapter, you'll see references to the ascension of the Lord. You remember that he took his disciples apart in Bethany and went up into the clouds, his feet dangling. We talked about the artistic endeavors to, to depict Jesus, and all of them had the same thing, his feet dangling down as he goes up into heaven. Well, you you have that, and you, you give consideration to the fact that this was an encouragement to his disciples, and it, it, it enabled them to be missionaries. It, it filled them. Now, the book of Acts, of course, is an, it was an extension of the Gospel of Luke. We we went there and looked about that, and of course, in the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter seven, you have uh, the death of Stephen, one of the Lord's martyrs, who who just rose to heaven with a sermon talking about how Jesus was, oh, he said, oh, look, I can see. Can't you see? The heavens opened and they are sitting at the right, standing at the right hand of God is Jesus the Christ. And so somehow uh, the dying of Stephen right there at the beginning of the church, gesturing skyward, indicates that Jesus is no longer here but up there. That he is to say he's everywhere now. Not just here, but there and here. Somehow, Stephen lifts his eyes and has the encouragement of seeing Jesus at the right hand of God. Well, he, uh, one of the things you want to remember about this text, it'll help you in Bible study, I think, is the difference between, uh, Jesus' ascension. Ascension is a, is a Latin word. Uh, meaning going up, uh, going up. And, but instead of that, the Greek tends to put a little kind of a different twist on it to the extent that Jesus is actually taken up. He's, he's taken up. And so we, last week, you remember, we talked about how Simeon took up Jesus in his arms in, in the temple there, signifying in, in the offering of the Lord. You know, the, the Messiah is there in the temple given. Given to Simeon, and at the, at the at the end, we see him uh, ascending back to the Lord. 
he ascends back to to the Lord God, who takes him into his arms and seats him at the right hand of God. And from then you have this dualism there, uh, which quickly becomes a Trinitarian movement of the Holy Spirit coming from God and Jesus. So you have the three in one, see? Three in one. Well, but but remember, Jesus is taken up. Taken up. That's a, a good way to give consideration to the subject of the ascension. He was taken up into heaven. The day Jesus started working from home. <laughs> Jesus left his work here, physical work, uh, his flesh, and was taken up. Taken up to a new place where he's going to work. His new home. He's going to work from home now. Kind of like, you know, everybody's working from home these days. <laughs> Experiencing what it is to not to be able to get up and go to the office, but you have to stay at home to your work. Jesus does his work at the right hand of God the Father. So the work is, is irrefutable, powerful, wonderful, coming straight there from that, that being taken up place of the Lord. In, uh, in, in, in classical theology, you got to lo- you would locate this somewhere. In other words, if you, if you think of what, what you say, well, where in a theological term, perspective, would the ascension occur? Well, it, it's in what you think about Jesus. It's in your Christology. Uh, you've got to establish a Christology that allows a place for the ascension of Jesus. Or else you won't be able to, to explain Jesus. Jesus will be a mystery to you. And it will be wonderful. Teacher, you know, you can have a good healer. You can have a wonderful miracle worker and all these kinds of things. But you don't understand that when Jesus is at the right hand of God, the judgment of the world is over. There is Jesus there. And there's the power of that, that combination and that three in one. Now, now, if you want to get real tough about this you know, and settle down on it and study it real hard, there's a young man named Paul Schreiner, and he is out, I mean, Patrick Schreiner. He's a seminary professor. He's written a book called The Ascension of the Christ. That's quite good. It's quite, it's quite good. Not very long, but very powerful. The Ascension of the Christ. You can, but you won't find a, a great deal of work on that subject, but some theologians are still wrestling with it, trying to trying to make some 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 headway in understanding why this doctrine is so very important. And this man does a good job. Uh, he he'll he'll be he'll help you. you just, I would suggest if you've got a Kindle on something, just download it to a Kindle and you'll have it in your cell phone or wherever and you can look at it and, and size it up and figure it out. It's good to take some subject and study it good and hard. That's what we're doing with this ascension. I didn't know half the stuff I know about it because I had to study it in order to get ready to say something to you. And so that's how we learn. We learn by by reasonable study and our own experience to come to some understanding of what, what this what this means. When you think theologically, when you say, Well, I'm gonna think about God, well, uh you have to decide how you're going to do it. That's one of the hardest hardest things to do is to think about how you're going to do it. Not do it, but how you're going to do it. If I you know, pull the motor out of my car, uh, 
I better figure out how I'm going to do it before I start doing it. You know, <laughs> helpful if if what we do is we think about how we're going to look at this ascension rather than just looking at the ascension. But I, I want you to do that. I want you to figure think about how you do. Let me give you four ways, four things about how you do theology. First thing is scripture. What scripture might teach you. And we boy, we've looked at that here in 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 the New Testament there about scriptures on the ascension. Then tradition. What does tradition teach us about this subject? Well, nearly every sermon for the first five hundred years of Jesus of the church had something to say about where Jesus was or what Jesus did in heaven for us on earth. So there's great power in the scripture and the tradition. And reasonable. This is not an unreasonable subject with tangling with. Although you might say, well, it's so unreasonable. Jesus flying off the earth, going, where'd he go? Mars? I mean, he's got feet dangling everywhere and going up in the That don't make no sense. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, because if you got up in the atmosphere, what were they going to do? Put a space suit on him? I don't know. But that that's not the point, see? Reasonable point is that somehow Jesus is beyond time and space. You remember the prayer this morning of Lam Stuckey talking to us about Jesus apart, not confined, he said. In time and space. It might strike you as odd, but Jesus is not confined by anything. Nothing locks him up because he's at the right hand of God, going home to be with his father, sitting right there. You cannot, he, I can almost see him clapping his hands right now because somebody is putting together the fact that he is Lord. See, not Lord of the past or Lord of the necessary future, that too, but Lord of the now. Where are you now? What are you doing now? Because Jesus is Lord now. Now, not only do you do theology with scripture and tradition and reason, you do it with reason. We just did it with, with some reason. How do you get beyond time and space? Well, you study a little physics and you find it's quite, quite easy. Because nothing in this world is explicable by the way you, you perceive it. It's beyond perception. So, here we have now one final thing. You do theology based on your experience. How did you experience the ascension? What was your first experience of it? I remember mine. I was a child. My mother brought me a book about the Bible home. And one of the pictures in it was of a great artist painting the picture of the ascension. And I got a hard and fast look at my first encounter with Jesus. He was flying with his feet dangling, going to heaven. The picture said, I look one look at that. I said, I can't do that. And my daddy can't do that. So I don't think the Lord could do that either. I think that's a lot of nonsense or something. And I tell you, I threw that book down for a long, long time. Long, long time. It was not until I became a preacher and started trying to come up with a sermon every Sunday, that I discovered how really good that book really was. <laughs> I went back and make it up because it was so simple. A child could understand it. And that's what I needed. Because preaching is a lot of times talking to children. 
And all you got to do is look in there and taste that Jesus, see that Jesus above everything with his outstretched arms. Man, I knew he was wonderful. I knew he was the king of kings then. I didn't know when I was little. I was too hard-headed, but I learned later on power of the dangling feet. The dangling feet pierced with a nail for me. The dangling feet washed by a woman with her hair. The dangling feet. Oh, how to make a sermon for some of you preachers out there. Well, I want to tell you that if you're looking now for the topic of ascension, uh, you have to, I'm going to read a scripture this morning from Ephesians. Ephesians now is a letter of St. Paul, you know, of course, for very old material. So remember that Ephesians and the letters of Paul are older than the Gospels. You got that? It's important. Because the ascension of Jesus is in the letters of St. Paul, which means that they precede the Gospel notion of how it is that Jesus went to heaven. Listen to what is said in here at the 15th verse of chapter 1. That is why, ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and of the love you have for Christians everywhere, I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you wisdom, to see clearly and really understand who Christ is. And all that he's done for you. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. So that you can see something of the future. He has called you to share. I want you to realize that God has been made rich. Because we who are Christ have been given to him. I pray that you will begin to understand. How incredibly great his power is. To help those who believe him. It is the same mighty power. That raised Christ from the dead. And seated him. In the place of honor. At God's right hand in heaven. Far, far above every other king. Or ruler. Or dictator. Or leader. Yes, his honor is far more glorious than that of anyone else, either in this world or in the world to come. And God has put all things under his feet and made him the supreme head of the church, which is his body, filled with himself, the author and giver. Of everything, everywhere. Oh, therein's the reading. To see that beyond spatial and time constriction there, be giver of everything, everywhere. How can God in Christ Jesus be everywhere in the Holy Ghost? That's because he's beyond our simple cramped notions of space and time. He's beyond that. He can come and take communion with me in the morning at five o'clock and at the same time do it 
millions of times all around the world because he is not confined like we are confined by space and time. There is a quality of this, you see, which strikes the human heart aesthetically, uh, makes, makes it, uh, makes us want to draw pictures of it. It hits us like beautiful glittering paint. Uh, it makes us want to look at the beauty of it. And that's what Paul does here. He, he's good at that too. He, he looks at the beauty of Christ. Talks about things like the aroma of Christ. Talks about Jesus being, being beyond senses, beyond time and space. So, Ephesians, is, this, this Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, is basically a consecration of Paul's prayer for the church to get to the issue of who it is and who Christ is. And, to understand some things about Jesus. And uh, one of them is that Jesus is, is given the knowledge of God by the Spirit. See, and, and that transfers down so that he can do all things. The knowledge of God is in Jesus because Jesus is beside God, in God, above and there with God. You understand the promise See, Paul always sensed that he had a promise. Uh, call it Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, that Jesus is going to come again. That's a, that's a powerful, wonderful thing. But he had a sense of that promise, which was so deep in verse 18 there, that understand your wonderful future. Look at what's ahead for you. You, you're not going to turn to dust in some old coffin. You're going to be raised to a new life in Christ. Well, how can that be? That's unreasonable. No, it isn't, because Christ is beyond spatial parameters and time parameters. He can do that. He can do that because he has the power to do it. We have the faith that says he has the power to do it. And you can understand that power. The greatness of his power is in who he is, yes, but not only that, but where he is. Right now as we speak, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. The old evangelist used to scare people to death with the knowledge that Jesus was listening to them right then, right now. In other words, if you gave your heart to Jesus, Jesus would accept you right then, right then, right now. Not two weeks from now, not yesterday, not because your mama was good or your daddy was good, but right, right now. See? And the the devil is scrambling <laughs> to get out of the room when Jesus becomes personal right, right now. Because you understand his greatness is in that, in that love of that. And finally, the position of Jesus is in heaven in this Ephesians thing. He's at the right hand of God. That's no simple thing. That, that places him where he ought to be, right where Jesus should be. And it also brings him back to earth. Like that evangelist preacher, right now, right now, right now, Jesus is on earth right now listening to you and me because of the fact that he's not confined by spatial and time parameters. He's on earth. And because he's on earth, he's the head of the church, the leader of the church, the head of the church. Jesus ascended to his father 
by his father, lifting him up, taking him in his arms. They both together, in short order, send the Holy Spirit to the church there in Jerusalem. Go back to Jerusalem, he said, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Just like they do on the videos now on Facebook, you know. <laughs> Some of those videos, they always say, wait for it, wait for it. And then what it is they want you to see happens. This is what they want you to see. It was going to happen. Wait for it. Take a look at the ascension and wait for it. Well, Christ descended to bring God to human beings like us. He came down here to the earth. Walked the hillsides of Galilee. In his beautiful ministry with his men and his women walking, teaching, touching, healing making people whole. And then he was crucified. And after his resurrection, he ascended. See, the ascension needs to be moved up out of the background of the resurrection into the foreground. He he was resurrected and then he ascended. Boom, it's like that. And from that position, he and the Father send the Holy Spirit down the early church been here ever since. He, Christ ascended to bring God down in Jesus. And then we saw God in Jesus. Then Jesus ascended to bring people like us up to God. Up to God. So God can touch us. God can deal with us. God can fix what's broken in us and, and mend us. Well, this is all through the New Testament. This the stream of thought about the power of the ascension of the Lord. And it's interesting and wonderful. But I hope what this does for you is make your devotional time with Jesus a little bit more intimate, a little bit more personal, uh, so that you understand that when you pray, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been in church sometimes when people would pray, and I just, you, you can wake me up when they get through. I'm so, I just, nothing but, but, Somebody who really is talking to the Lord. You know it. You know it in your spirit. You can feel it. And that's because the Holy Spirit is descending from God and the Son and pouring out His blessings on you and pulling you up, pulling you up so that they can reach you. Well, this is what the focus of today. This is what we're going to look some more about this subject next time we, we get together. And I... As we close, I just want to remind you where God is. He's above with the Lord, sending the Spirit of God down here to us. I want to thank you for letting me come into your life this morning. I don't know if you have any things you'd like to pray about, but I pray that God will bless you today. He will honor your commitment to him and, and cause you to blush in his favor. And I will be seeing you the next time we get together. And I bless you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bye-bye. Senhor, eu vejo o mundo triste, atribulado pelo
Satanás Clamando no 